0: Mayhem. Hello, and welcome to Haunted Mayhem. I'm your host, Bernie Nicole, here to talk about all things murder and mayhem. Mayhem being the spirits that haunt from beyond the grave because, hello, They were murdered! If you are just now joining the show, welcome! Just a warning, I do talk about killers and some of the terrible things they have done to become haunted. I don't go into great detail, but do want to give you an idea of what true monsters they are. Because we have some scary-ass monsters in this world who deserve the hauntings they get. So, how is everyone doing? Good? Great? Eh. Eh. I tell you what, I have been loving this fall-like weather we've been having. It's June, and I've got myself wearing hoodies in the evenings. What is that? The urge to get out those fall decorations? Oh. And to hang my ghostly little friends? Oh, y'all, it's real. My family is begging me hold strong and once those summertime temps hit I'm sure the feeling will pass (laughs) okay kidding (laughs) it never passes but for now we're enjoying these cooler temps and hanging out so before diving into this week's episode we're gonna swing by the once upon a podcast corner and see what's new there if you haven't checked it out be sure to check them out so, on a bit of boo, Rue and Stacy cover the second part of their Conjuring series. You're going to have fun with these two great ladies. They are so laid back and chill and just all around hooped. Um, on Starlight Tea, tap into your intuition with, they have oracles Rosemary Navara and Carol Franquise. Not sure if I'm saying that correctly, but give the podcast a listen and you can hear how it's said correctly. Um, On Mises, uh, they're covering Tina Turner. Oh man, what a legend we lost there. Tina Turner was legit a legend. Like the greatest of legends. And the day I heard of her passing... It was just kind of like, ah, another great, another influencer, a true influencer. And I just want to thank her and all the industries that helped support her. I just want to thank them because they inspired so many generations. And I haven't got to give the Tina Turner episode a listen, Amemesis, but... I bet Stacy and Sandra does an awesome job um, covering Tina's story. Um, you can keep up to date with Once Upon a Podcast by following them on Facebook. You can also check out the website at OnceUponAPodcastNetwork dot com, and we they have uh, shows that come out weekly, bi weekly. Um, I'm not sure about new shows being added, but you never know. Um, So yeah, tune in. Give them all a listen. Show us some of those like supports. We like the like supports. All right. The time has come. Let's dive into some murder and mayhem. This week, I'm... Going to be talking about the despicable murderer Terry Childs and the amazing women who haunted his every thought until the day he confessed to killing them. So here we go. It all started one day in November 1979 when Linda Josephich took a break at work. I'm sure she never imagined that would be her last moments alive, nor did her coworkers think she wasn't coming back to the rest of the world. The young woman vanished without a trace, but in reality she was dead soon after her killer took her. The family search for justice went on for more than two decades before a confession finally proved some closure investigation discoveries, dead, silent secret, of the Santa Cruz mountains chronicles how Linda's murderer was so- murder was solved through a prison inmates confession. So let's find out more about this case. Linda was the middle child in a family of five girls and their parents. She lived with her mom and dad in Santa Cruz, California. The 19 year old with an inclination toward athletics studied at De Anza college in California at the time Linda worked as a sales clerk at a department store on November 7th, 1979 Linda clocked into work just like any other day at around 7 p.m. She took a break and stepped out of the store located in Santa Clara, California. Linda went to her car to eat a snack. She had picked up earlier but she never went back to work. As time progressed, Linda's co-workers started to worry and called her parents. It was stated on the show that since she was an adult, a missing person report could not be filed until 72 hours later. But by then, it was too late. Linda was nowhere to be seen. In 1995, a hiker discovered her lower jaw and pieces of her ribs near the Lexington Reservoir in California. In 2004, almost 10 years later, her skull and upper jaw were found in the same area. (sighs) After the missing persons report was filed, the police were joined by other volunteers in their search for Linda. But sadly, the efforts bore no fruit. Her car was found abandoned near a medical center in San Jose, California. The contents of her purse were found dumped on the floor. As days turned to years, the outlook looked grim. The hope of finding Linda alive dwindled, and when her remains were found about 16 years later, the authorities received confirmation of what they already knew. A few years later, In 1987, Terry Childs was convicted of murdering 17-year-old Louise Singala. This conviction would lead to Linda's justice. So, who is this son of a bitch, Terry Childs? Eh, let me tell you a little bit about the piece of shit. Terry Childs was born... On September 22nd, 1955, in Santa Clara County, California, into a family with six other children. He grew up in Aptos, where his father, Gary, worked as a bail bondsman. So, like, you know, he kind of grew up watching convicts and just people that do bad things daily. It was kind of like a normal daily life for him. Um... I personally don't know anybody who does bail bondsman, but I'm sure it's not all fame and fortune as Dog's Bounty Hunter makes it look. And, you know, growing in that, up in that life can be kind of traumatizing. Um, during his teenage years, Childs began to use a variety of drugs and alcoholic beverages. And by early 1970, had his first arrest for robbery. In subsequent years, he dropped out of school and would frequently spend time in jail for a variety of crimes, but was often given light sentences. I wonder, like, I wonder if his dad was his bail bondsman. Like, woohoo, accomplishments. Yay, son. Anyway, going to hell. Uh, he shared this trait with several of his brothers. You know, maybe it was a family thing. Maybe they just, you know, hey, daddy Give me the hookup, bro. By 1985, Childs was known to the locals as a jobless drug addict who showed possible signs of mental illness. Why did you not report it? This is a thing. This is what we talk about over and over in the news, people mental illness it's a real thing it's not nothing to be ashamed of it's not the other person's fault when it becomes a fault is when you don't take care of the problem or if you see someone who has a problem but maybe they don't understand it and you don't report it or like bring it to their attention and something happens then it's a fault There is no shame in mental illness. It's no different than cancer. You going to shame somebody for having cancer? I mean, I'm not. Am I going to shame somebody for having a mental illness that they have no control over? No. No, I'm not. I'm going to suggest they get the proper treatment so nothing bad happens. Let's get it together. It's okay. Moving on So, you know, Childs leads a life of crime. He's in and out. He's his dad. Let's just say his dad is Bells Mormons. How how mean family traits? Hey, Daddy O, here's your job. So, his brothers are criminals. He's a criminal. He's in and out. He's a jobless drug addict. Signs of mental illness. You know, this is a recipe disaster and that disaster begins to unravel between 1979 and 1985 and it is in 1985 when it all starts to fall apart for him thank god because if it hadn't started falling apart who knows how long this crazy SLB would have kept killing um Thankful for the person that finally was like, put this one and this one together and was like, oh, no, he's done. So let me tell you about how he got done. So on August 22nd, 1985, the 29-year-old child, think about that. He was 29 when he was finally caught. Do you, that? That's a lot of years left to be murdering people. So, yeah, just pointing that out. And his girlfriend, at the time, were arrested for possession of a 10-inch artillery mortar simulator. As a preventative measure, their bail was secured at $250,000. And while they were awaiting trial, they became the prime suspects in the murder of 17-year-old Louise Sagala, whose body was found 12 days earlier in the small town of Scotts Valley. An autopsy determined that she had been killed approximately five days prior to her discovery and that her killer had fired 15 rounds from a 9 millimeter Luger into her body. 15 rounds. Why? That was so not necessary. That was murder all day long. Although you're going to hear that he claims it was not. During the investigation, police located a witness who claimed that he had seen Sagala enter a Ford Mustang similar to the one driven by Childs, while a friend of Childs, named John, claimed that he had sold a Luger to Childs sometime prior to the killing. John then directed the authorities to an area where Childs had fired several rounds into some trees. At the site, several shell casings were located, which, following a ballistics examination, were conclusively linked to the Luger used by Childs. Imagine that. Despite all this, of course, the weapon actually couldn't be found. In his apartment, his vehicle, they were, you know, he'd done a good job, of course, covering up the evidence. Um, so they couldn't charge him based on this circumstantial evidence, um, but they were still able to arrest him for um, for suspicion um, and bring him in for questioning on September the 10th. During interrogation, the girlfriend, who was unwilling to testify due to threats made by Childs to murder her family, finally agreed to testify. Like this dude has no ends. He, if you're in his life, you're a threat. I mean, that's what it comes down to. He does not have patience. And if you go against him, you're just going to die. And that's what the girlfriend had claimed. She was stuck. And if you're stuck in a relationship, you're not stuck. There's, there's things. And it's scary, but don't stay stuck, and don't stay in an abusive relationship just because you're scared. Because with people like this, one day it's not going to matter. They 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 can just end it all because they can. Um. So anyway, there's that. Um. It's hard. I do know it's hard. Um, and I'm not saying that there aren't situations where people get into where it's hard to fight out. There are. But keep fighting. Your life is worth it. Um, anyway, she finally, his girlfriend finally stepped up. Woohoo. Testifies against child. Um, according to her, the 17-year-old Sagala, whom she knew by her nickname, Janine, was a runaway to whom she got introduced via Childs. She had lived with them for several months at their apartment, and a few days prior to the murder, Childs informed her that he planned to kill Sagala because he suspected that she was an informant who was going to snitch on him for robbing the Pasitimpo Inn with friends John and Ron in July 1985. Okay, y'all. Ultimately, Child shot and killed Sagala and ordered his girlfriend to cover up any evidence that could be traced back to him, including some cigarette butts left behind before the pair fled in his car. Okay, look, if you're going to take the time to smoke some cigarettes, uh, to make sure you pick up some cigarettes, A, yes, you're going to think to get rid of the gun that you used, but B, also, it was no accident. You did it on purpose, And let's think back to that whole, he was paranoid and thought she was an informant. She was a runaway. So in March, 1986, after the preliminary investigation was completed, the criminal case was sent to court. In early April, 1986, under the terms of the plea deal, some of the charges against Child's girlfriend were dropped and she was given a sentence of 5 years in the women's correction system. On January 15th, 1987, Terry Child's trial began and it was like a long drawn up process. You can watch about all of it on the documentary um but Child's argues that uh he it was an accident. Um But according to his statement, the victim, according to the uh, prosecution's examiner, this is how cruel Childs was. The victim, who had been shot 15 times, had first been shot in the arms, thighs, and abdomen. She was still alive for over 15 minutes and was trying to crawl away before Childs fired one final fatal shot that hit her in the head. How is that accidental? I'm sorry. It's not. Um. Childs was, of course, later Convicted and on February 4th, 1987, Terry Child was found guilty of the murder via jury verdict. After which, the court sentenced him to life imprisonment with the right to par- parole after serving at least 41 years of his sentence. Um, reportedly, okay, here's that bright and shining awesomeness that is Child's in a fit of anger. He asked a friend. And I would be checking these friends of his out, too. I'm just saying. They need some mental evaluations if they were going to try to help him pull this off. He asked a friend to smuggle a Uzi so he could shoot up the courtroom. What? Don't shoot up the courtroom? So, yeah. I'd be looking into those uh, those friends. So, how does this all circle back around to, to Linda? Well it's because of this trial and this conviction from a, a life of crime as a kid, a teen, to the beginnings of his murders in 1987 uh, or 1979, excuse me, to his uh, conviction in 1987. Um, that leads to the discovery of childs ultimately confessing to 12 other murders. And why is that? You guessed it. He was being haunted by every woman he had ever killed until he confessed and their names crossed his lips. Um, and this was the case with uh, 19-year-old Linda Josephich. Um, she, you know, she went missing, Found her, you know, um, he made a plea bargain to not be moved into solitary confinement because he kept getting into fights. Cause you know, he's, he's killed. He's been in, in and out of jail. He's done all this stuff, but he hasn't learned his lesson. So even though he's not getting out of jail now, cause he's been convicted of murder, he gonna keep fighting. The bro can't stop. So they're going to be like, okay, that's it. We're done with you. We can't kill you because, you know, California has a, ha- has the no-kill law. um, Which, you know, have we ever thought about maybe like, I don't know, other forms of punishment? I don't know. I don't know. The whole justice system, it could be an argument all day long. So we're not going there. But they were going to move him to, a, to uh, Seattle, Washington. Um, and he didn't want to go. Because they were going to put him in confinement. By himself. Well, he can't fight nobody that way. Um, except for himself. And apparently he does that all the time. So he made a deal. And. Um, he started talking about. All of. The murders that he had committed. Including Linda's. Um, Childs had claimed to be remorseful about the murder and expressed his desire to contact relatives and ask for forgiveness. Bro, don't even be calling me. That's how I'd be. Do not call because that's going to be the worst phone call of your life. I promise you. Uh, so in 2008, he was convicted of Linda's murder and sentenced to another life term without the chance of parole. Uh, in 2016, Childs contacted the Santa Clara County's attorney's office again to admit to two more murders, both of which occurred in Aptos, the October 11, 1984 killing of 28-year-old Joanne Leslie Mack and the February third, 1985 killing of Christopher Hall. He claimed that after he had convinced Mac to enter his car, he took her to Seascape Beach where he tied her up and beat her to death. As for Hall, a longtime associate of Childs who was found dead in San Lorenzo Park, he was killed because he had failed to pay drug debts. Childs would also admit responsibility for the murder of his father's third year, 30 year old fiance, Penny Rickenbaker, which honestly, you know, his crime, his the first time he killed somebody, it was because he got mad at his mama. Like they got in a fight. He left. And by the time he ran into his first victim, he was so mad at his mama that he killed this girl. Okay. So you're going to tell me that he ain't, that there ain't a chance that he might not have killed his father's fiance, who wasn't his mother. I mean, if, I'm pretty sure I could call that a, you know, dead giveaway, but, um, her death had been ruled a suicide, um, and, in in the child's household on June 11th, 1974, at the time, Terry, his father and two brothers were in the house and all of them claimed that they had been asleep when Rickenbacker killed herself. Despite his confession, this particular claim was not investigated further due to lack of evidence, which I get it. You have to have evidence. But at the same time, you know, I could see how these unstable men could lose it and stage it to where it looked like a suicide. Um, In early 2017, Childs pled guilty to the murders of Joanne Mack. And Christopher Hall, after which he was given two more life terms without the possibility of parole. Um, he later confessed to more murders, which they pretty much just they took him into account. Um, like in, uh, they took him into he confessed to like his his stepmother and some other uh we, women that he had uh beaten, strangled, stabbed. Um. But he was never charged for any of them. Child said the ghost of his victims would appear to him in his cell. And were eating up his brain. But that demons departed once he admitted the crimes. That's a quote by quote. Demons departed. So, there's a few ways this could go. Okay? Have you ever been laying in bed? And you're thinking back to second grade when somebody actually accidentally, you know, saw you pull your, saw your butt crack. Okay. Let's just say, and like everybody started making fun of you and you're 45 now and still cringing at that moment. Yeah. I have a lot of those. Keep me up three o'clock in the morning. It's fun times. Um, Or, you know, when you said something stupid to someone and they just kind of laughed it off, but it haunts you forever. Um, So, is that what this was? You know, those are kind of like past demons that kind of, I mean, ours are nowhere near the level of murder here. But, um, they're there. They're haunting you. Um, I wish I, every day, every day, I'm like, please just go away. I don't want to remember that. Um, so child said it was eating up his brain, and the demons departed once he confessed to it. So were those demons and those ghosts, his thoughts, and he he just was reflecting, reflecting, reflecting on his life, and his whole life was just shitty and bad, and that's all he had to reflect on. Or was it these women saying? Hey, dickwad, won't you fess up or I'm going to just keep haunting you. Because I'm going to tell you, that's what I would do. And it appears that's what each one did. Because once he confessed to killing the victims that he confessed to killing, they let let him be. When he died at, uh, let's see, he died. Yep. I don't know. He died. I don't know when he died. He just died sometime. Um, I had it here. Oh, he died this year. y'all. Yeah. oh my gosh. I knew I had it. Okay. So, you know, when he died in February 11th of 2023, he had stated weeks prior to that, that it had been quiet and he had been at peace for the last 10 years. I kind of wish my homegirls there would have just stayed with him. I know they, they deserve ever after peace too. But he didn't deserve peace. He didn't deserve that peace. So, was it them, or did he just let it go and then moved on with his life? What do you think? Send me an email, gmail.com. Tell me, tell me your thoughts on what Charles was really experiencing. Was he experiencing his own demons, or was he being haunted by these women who wanted their justice? I think it's a bit of both. So, let me know. Hit me up. On this week's episode of Hometown Haunts, I kind of failed. Um, You know, we all do that from time to time. And while I thought I had all my ducks in a row, apparently one flew south or or north for the summer, (laughs) whatever. Um, I forgot to print and prep my hometown email. So, all is not lost. Thanks to some awesome moms the other day that was talking to me about my podcast, I remembered the story and I told them about it, um, that happened to my daughter when she was two. Uh, it was very, bone chilling and they were telling their own stories about their children when they were young and stuff they experienced. So, um, if you have a story like this that you want to share, send it to me. Nicole at gmail.com b-r-a-n-d-y-n-a-c-o-l-e at gmail.com or any haunting stories of any kind uh, murder stories we want to hear what happened in your hometown or in your home life that just still gives you chills to this day and this is one of those stories for me so my husband traveled a lot he worked uh at nuclear plants And we traveled from state to state all the time. And we were in New York state, up upper New York around the lakes. And we had rented a lake cabin. Well, my daughter was two and one morning when he got up to leave to go to work, you know, she rustled around in the bed. She was in the bed with us and new place, you know, uncomfortable. But anyway, she Woke up too. And after he left, she rolled over and looked at the ceiling and let out the most chilling scream I have ever heard in my life. It's still like, I got chills right now. She instantly wrapped her, her body around mine, clawing at my neck, arms tight as she could screaming. It was like she was trying to climb me. Um, I had scratch marks all over me. I was starting to bleed. I couldn't get her to calm down. I was like, I have got to get up and, and, you know, see if I can like rock her, you know, do something, walk her around, started to get up. She looked from the ceiling to the floor and before I could put my foot on the floor, she screamed even harder and dug her nails even deeper and said, mama, no. I didn't know what to do. So I sat back down on the bed and I was holding her and I was trying to get her a whole seal. I called my husband and I was like, I don't know what's wrong with this child, but like we may have to like take her to the hospital. And he's like, is that her screaming in the background? And I was like, yes. I said, "I, I don't know what to do. And so he said, I'm coming back. Well, while he's coming back, she's just continuing to scream. Tears are pouring down her face. She's looking up at the corner of the, Of the ceiling. And then she's looking at the floor. And screaming. Blood's pouring down my chest. I'm like. I've got to stop this. So I grabbed. I put my arms around her really, really tight. Jumped off the bed. Did like a swirl. Pull on the door at the same time. And slammed the door. Y'all. I kid you not. The moment. That door shut. She stopped. I put her down on the floor. She went over and sat on the couch and said, Mama, turn on Dora. And I was like, what the hell? You just... What? Uh, okay. So I turn it on. Still like, I don't understand. My husband comes back and, you know, I have the proof that all of this happened because my chest is literally scratched up and bleeding. And... You know, her face is red and splotchy, but she's fine. She, but now he had to take her out, uh, the rest of that day while I moved our stuff out of that room. Um, we, we couldn't stay in there. We couldn't get another place either because outages, you know, hotels were full. There was no other cabins. We were kind of just stuck. Uh, and so there was another bedroom we moved everything in there and had to keep that door shut at all times. Even if we went near it, she would say, mama, no, daddy, no. Like we could not open that door. I will never in my life get over that. And of course she doesn't remember that. And There's like this age where you kind of puke and they say, you know, kids see things they don't understand or that, um, our growing mind. When, I I forgot. If you know the age, shoot me a message because I can't remember the age right off the top of my head, but there's an age where your, your frontal lobe and stuff, it starts growing and it, it takes away all the things and starts becoming, it takes away the fun y'all. But anyway, so that was my haunting moment and it was a scary one. <laughs> um, if I hadn't have been so far from home, I probably would have drove home, but then I would have left my husband in a pickle and we only had a couple more weeks, but it was, it was terrible. It was nightmarish. So send me your haunts. Tell me your stories. Uh, they'll be featured here on the podcast. Uh, if I get enough stories in, maybe we can bump this up from one story a week to two or three. So be sure to get those to me. Brandy and Nicole at gmail.com. B-R-A-N-D-Y-N-A-C-O-L-E at gmail.com and let's stay haunted bye haunted mayhem